Did you hear about the rich man who woke up one morning and he wanted bacon and eggs for breakfast? This man had so much money, not only did he have servants and a chef, he had animals. And so when he said he wanted something for breakfast, he wanted it fresh. So he said to one of his servants, I want some fresh scrambled eggs and I want some fresh bacon. Servant went out into the farm out there by the house and went after the chicken and went after the pig. When he went after the chicken, the chicken just came right up to him to lay those eggs. But the pig started running away. The chicken said to the pig, where are you going? Our master wants breakfast. The pig said to the chicken, yes, I know. But for you, breakfast is a small commitment. For me, it is a great sacrifice. You could have done better on that. I thought that was not a bad joke. Go ahead. Get my confidence back. I get my confidence back up on a Wednesday night. I want to talk to you tonight about sacrifices and about the sacrifices that are involved in the Christian life. Now, if you have your program tonight or your outline, whatever we call that document that we give you when you come in on Wednesday night, Look at the introduction, because I want to just read part of that to you, and I want you to see it with your eyes. It simply says this, the Christian life is a life of sacrifice. If you think about it, we began the Christian life by trusting in Jesus and in His sacrificial death for us. I could never say it strongly enough. We are saved by trusting in Jesus and in what he did for us on the cross. If you believe that, say amen. Now, let's just stop right there, and we'll pick up with the rest of it in in a few minutes. As we think about sacrifices in the Christian life, we must start with the ultimate sacrifice that was made, and that was made by Jesus Christ. If it were not for his death on the cross, his sacrifice... None of us could be saved. Our sins could never be forgiven. And so when you think about sacrifices that you might make for God, or when I think about some sacrifice I think I might have made for God, it's nothing compared to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. Now, open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews in chapter number 9. I want us to begin there tonight and look at one verse, Hebrews chapter 9, and in verse number 28. We're thinking about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It is the basis of our salvation. We're saved by trusting in Jesus and in his sacrificial death for us. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And so this verse makes clear to us that When Jesus died on that cross, he was offering up his body. In another place in the Bible, Jesus said this, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. Did you know the difference between a person who has the full assurance of his salvation and a person who doubts his salvation? Did you know that it is all wrapped up in what I'm talking about tonight? in the basis of our salvation, and that is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. What I know is this. There are different categories of people in this room listening to this message tonight. There are many of you out there tonight who are saved, and you know beyond the shadow of any doubt that you're saved. There are some here tonight, I would think, I can't prove this, but I would think there are some here tonight who are unsaved, and you know that you're unsaved. You know that there's never been a time in your life when you came to Jesus Christ asking him to forgive you and 
asking him to save you. You know you've never done that, so you know you're not saved. But then there are probably others here tonight who would say, I think I'm saved, I hope I'm saved, but I don't have the full assurance of my salvation. I, I, I wonder about that. I, I hope I am, but I'm not completely confident that I am saved. And even on a Wednesday night, I almost guarantee you there's some here like that. Did you know why people are in that third category? Why people don't, many people don't have the full assurance of their salvation? Because they are resting upon something other than the death of Jesus Christ in trying to find the assurance of their salvation. They're depending on something else. In other words, they have put the focus on themselves in some way, and they ask themselves questions like this, Is, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Did you know if your salvation was based on anything other than the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, you could never know whether or not you were saved. For example, if your salvation is based on your life, how would you ever know whether your life was good enough? If your salvation was based upon your good deeds and acts of kindness and charity, how could you ever know that you had done enough? If your salvation is based upon your understanding, how much you understand about God or the Bible, or even how much you understand about salvation, how could you ever know whether you know enough? If your salvation is based upon your own sincerity, how could you ever know that you're sincere enough? If your salvation was based upon the purity of your motives, how could you ever know if your motives were good enough? If your salvation is based upon your own repentance, how could you ever know that you had repented enough? If your salvation was based on your own faith, how could you ever know if your faith was strong enough? If your salvation was based on the confession of your faith, how could you know that you ever confessed Christ openly or publicly enough? What I'm saying to you tonight is if your salvation is based on anything other than the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, there's no way that you could ever know whether or not you're truly saved because how would you ever know that it's enough? And that's the reason some people are in that third category, that they say, I'm not sure whether I'm saved or not. What they're really saying is, when I think about my salvation, when I think about God, when I think about what it would take for me to get into heaven... See, the next thing that comes out of their mouth is not the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. No, they're somehow focusing on themselves, and that makes them very uneasy. And it should make all of us uneasy if we do that, because we know that in us dwelleth no good thing, and we could never be good enough on any of, none of us could ever be good enough to be saved. But if our faith is in Jesus Christ, and in his sacrificial death on the cross, then we will have the full assurance of our salvation. Why? Because it is the death of Christ that God accepts for the payment of our sins. And so when we place our faith where God placed our sins, and that is on Jesus, that's when we're saved, and that's when we begin to experience the full assurance of our salvation. And so tonight, you need to ask yourself this question. At the beginning of the message, we're talking about sacrifices. Has there ever been a time in your life when you trusted Jesus, when you transferred your faith away from you, your goodness, your life, your motives, your purity, even your own faith, and put that faith on Jesus, 
Because if you've done that, you've been saved. And if you've never done that, you have not been saved. If you have done that, and then the devil has come and tried to confuse you about that and get your focus or your mind on something other, else, other than Jesus, then you're not going to have the full assurance of your salvation. Years ago, I came across a book by Adrian Rogers. If you want to buy a good book, I think we have some of these in our bookstore. It's called What Every Christian Ought to Know. It is a very basic book. It's like a manual for the Christian life. What every Christian ought to know about the Bible. What every Christian ought to know about salvation, eternal security, faith, baptism, all the basics. It's, it's all in here. How to know God's will. It would be a good investment of, your, uh, of a little bit of money and a little bit of time to read through this. But in this book, he has a section called What Every Christian Ought to Know About Faith and How to Have It. Now, keep in mind... The most important thing in your life is your faith. Because the Bible says that God values your faith more than gold that perishes. Your faith is extremely important. You can't be saved without faith. And so while God treasures your faith and values your faith more than anything else, and if you think about it, that's why sometimes God allows us to go through difficulties, heartache, challenges, setbacks, disappointment, broken hearts. Why? Because God is always working on our faith. And that doesn't mean that if, when we go through difficulties that God calls that. But God is committed to using everything that comes into our life to strengthen our faith, to bolster our faith. You say, why is faith so important to God? Because God knows the more faith you have, the more peace you'll have, the more joy you'll have, the more confidence you'll have, the better your life will be. Whereas if your faith is shaky and weak and filled with doubts and questions and uncertainties and so on, God knows you're never going to have much peace. You're never going to have much purpose in life. You, your whole life's just going to be kind of floundering around. So God, God is very determined to strengthen our faith. Sometimes I think God's too determined. You know, he lets us go through some things. Say, man, God, this must really be important to you. But if God values our faith that much, keep this in mind. The devil will do anything he can to destroy your faith. And so when God looks at your faith, God says, now I have something there that I can strengthen, I can develop, I can purify, I can work all the doubt and fear and worry and anxiety out of that. But the devil looks at that and says, you know what? I'm going to attack their faith. I'm going to try to destroy their faith. The devil puts thoughts in our minds like this. Well, if God really loved you, why would he allow you to go through this? Well, if you were really saved, why wouldn't God have prevented this from happening in your life? And so God gets us to questioning. It's just like, I mean, the devil gets us to questioning God. Back at the very first book in the Bible, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden. God said to them, you can eat from any tree, any tree in this garden, any of them except one tree. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. If you eat from that tree, you're going to die. And the devil came into that garden, and the devil said to Adam and Eve, said to Eve, did God really say? That's always what the devil does. The devil always puts a question mark where God puts a period. Did God really say that you shall not eat from that tree or touch it? Well, God never said you couldn't touch it, but that's the devil. He's always trying to get us questioning God. And then the devil said, the only reason God told you that, Eve, because God knew if you ate that fruit, you would be as smart as he is. And so now the devil's got Eve questioning the goodness of God. In other words, the devil's got Eve thinking, if I don't eat this tree, I'm not going to experience everything that I could experience. But that's always the way the devil works. He attacks people's faith. He gets them to question in their faith. 
Because he knows if he can tear your faith down low enough, then for all practical purposes, you won't even have a relationship with God. Now, if you've ever been saved, you'll still be saved. You can't lose your salvation. But he knows that he can really put a blow on you if he can get your faith a little bit shaky. Now, Adrian said this in his book. He's talking about how the devil attacks our faith. And before I get into this, how many of you here tonight would say there's ever been a time in your life where the devil attacked your faith? Say amen. Amen. That's, that's, that's all of us. Well, here's what Adrian said. He said, if you put faith in faith, you are a sitting duck for the devil. The devil will come to you and say, you're not good enough to be saved. You say, I know it, but I don't have faith in myself. The devil says, there are hypocrites in the church. And you say, I'm not putting faith in hypocrites. I'm trusting in the Lord. The devil will say to you, but you don't feel like you should. And you say, yes, but I'm not trusting my feelings. I'm trusting the Lord. And then Adrian said this, you would think the devil would go away. But do you know what he'll do? And this is the slyest thing of all. Now, you may listen to this. You've got one of the greatest men of God who ever lived, one of the greatest preachers of the gospel who ever lived, and he has identified the devil's slyest and craftiest trick. And here's what he says. The devil will say to you, you say you're trusting the Lord, but how do you know your faith is strong enough? How do you know your faith is the real thing? That's his dirtiest and most devious trick. Many people go under when Satan says this, if the devil ever pulls that stunt on you, you just tell him, look, devil, I'm not putting my faith in faith. My faith is in Jesus. Now, there's a difference in that. The least amount of faith in the right object is better than strong faith in the wrong object. We are to believe in Jesus. And so I know I'm spending a few minutes on this tonight, but I want to, it, it's, it's more important than anything I'm about to say. You must make 100% certain that your faith is in Jesus Christ and in his death on the cross as the full payment for your sins. If somebody were to come up to you tonight, maybe you leave here and you go to the grocery store, you go to a restaurant, you go somewhere, and somebody says to you, do you think you're saved? You say back to them, yes, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm saved. And then if that person were to say to you, well, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? However you answer that question tells exactly what you're depending on for your salvation. The answer to that question is, I am trusting in Jesus Christ and in his death on the cross as the full payment for my sins. Period. End of conversation. That's what I'm trusting. And friend, once you're trusting in Jesus, you're trusting his sacrifice, you are saved and you are filled with the assurance of your salvation. You believe all that? Say amen. Now... That's how the Christian life begins. But let's look back at the introduction in our notes there. After we become Christians, we discover that the Christian life is filled with sacrifices. See, we don't get saved by making sacrifices. A lot of people think that. You don't get saved by sacrificing something up to God. No, you get saved by trusting in His sacrifice. The Bible makes it clear, though, that we are to sacrifice certain things for God. And when we do, God always honors those sacrifices. And so that's what I want us to focus on tonight for the remainder of our time. Now, look in the New Testament. Well, you're in the New Testament. Look in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter number 24. 
I want to show you one verse here and one in Romans about making sacrifices for God. Romans, I said chapter, I meant chapter 16. It's going to be verse 24. Romans, I mean, I'm getting it all mixed up now. See, I'm back in here with you guys and I'm nervous and I'm flustered. I'm not got it right. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, if anybody wants to follow me, I will, I, I'm, the door is open. I would love to have you be my follower. But it's interesting how Jesus never lowered the standards or lowered, lowered the expectations. He says, if you want to follow me, here's what you got to do. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, go wherever I go. Well, anybody that sets out on that trip is going to have to make some sacrifices. Talk about taking up your cross and denying yourself things that you would want and things that you would like to do. Jesus said, well, there's going to be sometimes you can't do everything you want to do. If you want to follow me, you've got to make some sacrifices. Not in order to be saved, but after you've been saved so that you can be a full follower of mine. Now, turn a few pages into the, to the right to Romans chapter number 12. Because the Apostle Paul is picking up on this same theme, this same idea of making sacrifices in our relationship with God. And we all have to make them sometimes. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, now watch this, a living, what's the next word? Sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. And so Paul said, if you want to get serious about following Jesus, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, you have to understand this. Your very body has got to become a sacrifice. And with these bodies that God has given us and with these bodies that our spirit, our soul lives in, we should seek to live lives, live lives that are holy and pure and right before God. And so our very bodies are a sacrifice. And so I want us to think tonight just briefly about some things that God expects us to sacrifice to Him. And I could have made a much longer list, but I'm just mentioning three things tonight. First of all, one of the things that you will have to sacrifice if you're going to get closer to God if your relationship with God is going to be all that you want it to be, and certainly all that God wants it to be, you're going to have to sacrifice time, T-I-M-E, time. Now, you have done that tonight. You may not have thought about coming to church as a sacrifice, but it is a huge sacrifice. Many of you got up very early this morning. You went to work. You have worked all day. Some of you have taken kids to school, activities. Picked them up, dropped them off. You're tired, you're sleepy. It would have been, the fact is, it would have been much easier for every one of us here tonight to have stayed home. Can I have an amen to that? It would have been easier. But when you came to church, you made a sacrifice of your time. The service lasts an hour. You have to get here, you have to go home. So let's just say that tonight, by coming to church, if you live close by, now some of you have made a more of a sacrifice. But for those of us who live close by, you've, we've made an hour and a half sacrifice to come to church tonight. And so that is a significant portion of your day. And so what I'm saying is you are to be commended for coming to church tonight. You have done the right thing. Turn to the person next to you and say, you did really good. Tell them that. You did the right thing 
by coming to church tonight. It's a sacrifice of time. In fact, time may be, well, it, it certainly is one of the greatest sacrifices we make when we come to church. But how about this? How about when we have our quiet time every day? Did you know when you set aside 30 minutes to read the Bible and pray, that is a sacrifice of time. It would be much easier to spend those 30 minutes watching television, talking on the phone, playing on your computer, answering emails, responding to text messages. 30, I mean, but when, when a person, whether it's in the morning or at night, says, you know what? I need to read my Bible every day. I need to pray every day. And it take, let's just say it takes you 30 minutes to do that. I'm making a sacrifice of time. Friend, that touches the heart of God. That is a living sacrifice. That costs you something. It costs you a television show. It, co- it costs you whatever you could do in 30 minutes. But you know what I've learned about God and what I, not, I've learned it a long time ago, but what I am reminded of on a regular basis, anytime we sacrifice something for God, He has a way of paying that back so much more than what we ever offered to him. The most recent example I have of this was yesterday morning. Now, I don't know how you live your life, but when I wake up every day, I try to have like a theme or an assignment for that day. Here's what I want to do. And I have it for every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And sometimes things happen and it gets thrown off. But when I woke up yesterday, I knew exactly what I wanted to accomplish. And so I woke up and I went into my study. And the first thing I wanted to do was start working on a booklet that I'm working on right now. Because I love to do that. It's like a little hobby for me. And I'm in the process right now of editing two booklets. We're really, I'm, I'm re-editing two that we're going to reprint. And I'm editing one that hope, we hope to have ready in June. Now it's going to be July. But I've written a little booklet. How do you like this for a title? Living on the edge of eternity. Isn't that catchy? And so uh, it is. And, and we are. We are living on the edge of eternity. And I got that book written, and I'm editing. It takes a long time to do all that. But anyway, yesterday I got to the study, and I was wanting to, one of these other two booklets that I'm, we're going to reprint, I'm wanting to get, get it just right. As you can imagine, I want everything just right. Drive myself crazy. So I got in there, and that's what I wanted. And everything within me wanted to get on those booklets. But I knew I couldn't do it because I hadn't prayed, hadn't had my quiet time. And so I thought, well, if I would do this now, I'd be so much farther along on my day. But I'm going to do what, I mean, I wanted to pray. I wanted to read my Bible, but I, I wanted to do the other stuff too. So I had my quiet time. Great quiet time, Bible reading, prayer. It was wonderful. Finished up doing what I needed to do at home, came to the office, went to the Tuesday Bible lunch yesterday. My dad had a great sermon. I heard it. We had a little meeting after that. Tuesday afternoon is my day to work with Brent Shore here on our staff, working on this little radio program we've got going. So we try every Tuesday to make one radio program. And so we we sat down to do it. Would you believe in less than two hours' time, we made two radio programs? And they are top shelf, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you, they're really good. And after that, I went back to the study, to the office here at church and did whatever. And then I went home last night and had dinner. And it was still fairly early. And I said, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to edit this Living on the Edge of Eternity. I'm going to just read through the thing and work on it. And I did. It took about an hour and a half. 
I went to bed last night, and I thought, God, you've done it again. You have proven to me something that I've seen you do over and over and over again. If I make any sacrifice of time for you, no matter how small it is, you pay that back so much more. What I'm saying to you is yesterday, yesterday, if I would have decided to skip my quiet time, I can't explain to you how this would have happened. There's no way I would have got two radio programs recorded, and there's no way I would have edited that booklet last night. Something would have messed it up. But when I put God first yesterday, sacrificed a little bit of time, he paid it back. What's the verse in Galatians say? We reap what we sow, right? When you, when you sow time, you give God, make God a sacrifice of time, how does he pay that back? In time. He, you reap what you sow. He makes your time more productive. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer back in the 1500s, he said, this is one of the most famous quotes in church history. He woke up one day, had a busy day planned, and he said this. He said, God... I've got so much to do today. I have so many responsibilities. My day is so packed full that I've got to spend twice as much time in prayer before I start any of that. Because he had learned what I'm saying to you tonight. When you sacrifice a little time for God at the beginning of the day, he pays that back to you all day long. You know what I believe? By making a sacrifice tonight, by being in church... I, can't, I don't know whether it'll be later on tonight. I don't know whether it'll be tomorrow. But something's going to happen in your life where you're going to save time out there somewhere. Because, or it may be next week or who knows when. You've given God time. He's always going to pay it back more than you've given him. So that's one of the things we have to do is remember that we have to sacrifice time for God. Another thing that God wants us to sacrifice is not just time but money, treasures. It's clear in the scriptures. I was going to have us read tonight in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, great verse on tithing, but I'll just paraphrase it for you. God said this, test me now in this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and see if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and give you so many blessings that you can't handle it. What was God saying? God was saying, here's one thing I'm wanting you to sacrifice for me, money, your treasures. When you come to church on Sunday, bring me, bring God 10% of everything you have made the week before. See, God's math is so different from ours. God says, if you'll give me the first 10%, you'll be better off with 90% than you would have 100%. You will have more money with 90% of it in my blessings than you would with 100% of it doing it on your own. And so we reap what we sow. We sow money, we obey God, we give the tithe to God, and what does God do? God supernaturally, providentially gives it back to us. And it's not just the tithe. It's any time you give anybody anything, God makes it back. I think I told you years ago about something that happened and my dad and I were having dinner one night at a restaurant, and just the two of us, and we got towards the end of the meal, and we looked over the rest, across the restaurant, and we saw a couple there, and uh, they don't go to our church. In fact, he's a minister at another church in town, and he and his wife were having dinner together, and so we went over and said hello, and uh, they said, well, we're just here tonight celebrating, I believe it was their 50, it was one of their anniversaries, and uh, we just came out to celebrate that. We wished them happy anniversary. We went back to our table to finish our meal. And one of us said to the other, he probably was the one who instigated this. He said, you know, John, we ought to buy their meal. 
And uh, I, I thought, well, you know, I, like, I like them, and I thought, well, we should. And he said, why don't we give $50 each, and it'll cover it. And so we did, and at the end, we just walked over and gave, you know, happy anniversary and paid for their meal. He went to his house, and I went to my house, and I got home that night, and I went to the mailbox to get my mail, and I had a letter from uh, somebody, and they had written me a nice letter. It was one of my relatives back in Georgia, and they had written me a enclosed a check for $50. My great uncle had done this. And I thought to myself, isn't that just like God? I just gave away $50. I just got it back. I called my dad to tell him that story. And as uh, soon as I told him that, he said, hey, I got to go. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to check my mailbox. <laughs> he said, I'm going to see what's out there for me. And I saw him the next day. He said, well, there wasn't anything in my mailbox. I didn't get that. 50. Well, you don't always get it that quick, and it may not always be like that. But the point is this, you can't outgive God. In fact, turn to Luke chapter 6. You're close by. I'll give you a verse that you can uh, mark here in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Now, that's a good story. I may tell that on a Sunday sometimes. You'll have to laugh again when I tell that again. But in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, this is a tremendous verse. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. You would think it would say, give and you will lose what you gave. Give, and you will have less than you had before you gave. But that's not how God works. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You reap what you sow. You sow time for God. Make a little sacrifice of time. God gives you the time back. You sow some money to help another person, tithing at the church. You, got, you give that to God, God's going to give it back to you. But when God gives it back, it's not just that God gives you what you gave, it's that God gives you more than what you gave. So there's a principle in the Bible, there's a verse in the Old Testament, God said this, those who honor me, I will honor. Say that with me. Those who honor me, I will honor. So when you honor God with your time, your treasures, your money, God's going to honor you back. And then the other thing that we have to sacrifice sometime, you know, I, I, I try to think of the Best word for this today, and here's the one I came up with. We have to sacrifice our preferences. Our preferences. Sometimes God will impress on your heart to do something that you don't want to do. Now, I'm not going to say much about this, because this coming up Sunday night, I'm going to preach a sermon called, When God's Will Clashes with Our Will. In other words, God has a plan or a will for your life. Here's what God wants you to do. And yet, as you think about what God wants you to do, you're sitting there thinking, well, that's not what I want to do. I want to do something else. You say, would that ever happen? Well, as we'll see Sunday night, yes, it would. Yes, it does. It even happened to Jesus. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, what do we see? We see God the Father's will clashing with God the Son's will. And that's why Jesus said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup be passed for me. In other words, don't make me die on that cross. And when he prayed that prayer, heaven was silent. And eventually Jesus said to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so sometimes in, in, in the Christian life, and this has happened to all of us, there's something we want to do. And God says, I know you want to do that, but that's not what I want you to do. Or maybe it's not what I want you to do now. And sometimes this is where we, where really where the rubber hits the road. 
We want to follow God as long as he's paying us back on our time. He's paying us back on our money. But we get out there somewhere and God says, I know you want to do this, but if you do that, you're going to have to step outside of my will. I know that's your preference, but that's not my preference. And God's will clashes with our will. And so what I'm saying is sometimes we have to sacrifice what our preference is and say to God, God, and I want to get into this more Sunday night, but we just have to say, God, you know how badly I want to do this, but in my heart of hearts, I don't think you want me to do it, or at least I don't think you want me to do it now. And so I'm willing to sacrifice my preference for your preference. You know what I've learned on that one? When you sacrifice your preference for God, one of two things is going to happen. Either there will come a time when God will give you what it was that you wanted all along, or God will change the desires of your heart, and there'll come a day when you'll say, God, I could never thank you enough for not giving me what I used to pray for. Or, God, I could never thank you enough for not letting me have peace about doing something that I really wanted to do. And so, sometimes God will just change your desire. I would say every one of us here tonight has had that experience. You wanted something, you prayed about something, God said no, made you mad. But what can you do? Can't fight providence. And time went by, and eventually you said, God, it was either worth waiting on or I never did need it to begin with. If you've ever had that experience, say amen. So, sometimes we have to sacrifice our preferences. So, think about what I'm saying tonight. Sacrifices. We trust His sacrifice. That's how you get saved. We make sacrifices. That's how we obey God. That's how we please God. But I want to show you one other thing, then I'm going to stop. Go back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Because all through, the, all through your life as a Christian, you're going to have to be making sacrifices to God. That's, that's, this is the hard part of being saved. We have to give up some things. But did you know there's even something more important than making sacrifices now, remember, the most important thing is to trust his sacrifice. But I'm talking about as far as living the Christian life now. 1 Samuel chapter 15, look in the middle part of verse 22. And I just want to direct your attention to one phrase. Samuel is talking here, and he's talking to King Saul. And here's what he says. To obey is better than sacrifice. Say that with me. To obey is better than sacrifice. Say it by yourselves. What's that mean? That means if there is an area in your life that God has made clear to you, you need to obey Him in that area. It is more important for you to obey Him in that area than to make sacrifices in a bunch of other areas. Let me give you an example. Let's just play like there's somebody here tonight, maybe there is, who has been saved, but you've never been baptized. Let's just use that illustration. Now, the Bible is clear that after we get saved, we're supposed to be baptized, but you've never done it. You come to the service tonight, you hear my sermon, you, the first part, we're supposed to trust in Christ's sacrifice. You think, well, I've done that. And then I'm talking to you about making a sacrifice of time and money and your preferences. You say, well, you know what? He's right. I need to do that. When I wake up in the morning, I need to sacrifice some time for God. I do need to be a tither, and I also need to give money to other people who need it. I need to do that sometime. And I, there, there are times I do need to just sacrifice a pleasure or a preference or something I'd rather do. All that's true. 
But when the Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice, in that illustration I've given, what God is saying to you tonight, it would be better for you to come forward tonight during this invitation and say to one of us, hey, I need to be baptized, than it would be to get up early in the morning and have a quiet time. Because to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, that's just one example. What I'm saying to you tonight is, If there is any area in your life where you have not been fully obedient to God, maybe it's forgiving another person. You say, well, I'm going to get up in the morning and have my quiet time. I'm going to sacrifice time. Well, that's good, but it would even be better for you to forgive somebody who's hurt you than it would be to have a quiet time because to obey is better than to sacrifice. So there's a lot of areas where you can illustrate this. And so what I'm saying to you tonight is, if there's any, and I pray God would, as I say this to you, that God would shine his light in my own heart. If there's any area in your life where you have not been obedient to God, why not make a decision tonight to do that? If you're here tonight and you've never been saved, you never have received Jesus Christ, you've never trusted in him and his death on the cross, well, for you to neglect doing that, And say, what I'm going to do is go home and I'm going to have a quiet time. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to give up something else for God. I'm going to make it. God would say, no, whoa, 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 whoa. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to obey, what does the scripture, what did Jesus say? Repent and believe the gospel. Get saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. See, if you've never been saved tonight. If you've never been baptized tonight. If you're not a member, if you're not a part of this church family. And you feel like you, you like it here. You come here, you feel like you learned something, you like the people, you feel like God is leading you to join the church. See, for you tonight, an act of obedience out of you would be to come forward and to join this church. You say, well, I don't want to do that. I just want to go home and have a quiet time. Well, but the Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. And so what I'm saying to you tonight, you know, the last service we had in here was on Sunday night, gave the invitation, nothing happened. I got back up here and I kind of prolonged it because I felt led to give it a little bit longer. Two people came forward and they both got saved. Now that's the last time we had a service in here. I don't know who needs to do what tonight. All I'm saying is this. If you know in your heart of hearts that there's something you need to do. You may not even know what it is. You come down here, tell me, tell my dad. We'll help you figure out what it is. And you will be obedient to God. And I'll guarantee you this. When you go home tonight, you'll be glad that you obeyed. Amen. Father, take the message, seal it to our hearts, and show us what we need to do to be obedient. And then, God, show us subsequently the sacrifices that we need to make so that we can be the Christian man or woman that you would have us to be. Heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Christian friend all around the room. Would you just begin to pray now for others in this room who need to make a decision tonight who need to be obedient in some area would you just pray that God would help them to know what they need to do and then that God would give them the courage to do it you may be seated next to someone tonight you know they need to make a decision and they know that they need to make a decision and yet you know for them to come forward by themselves that's an intimidating kind of a frightening thing why don't you just say to them hey if you'll go tonight to the front I'll go with you You don't have to go alone. I'll be your escort. 
You don't know what that might mean to another person. Father, I pray now as we have our time of invitation that decisions will be made here that would change people's lives and that would even change people's eternities. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. While we 